I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Yeah, dude. Are you excited about your uh, commencement speech you're going to give? Uh, which one? I've written four and I hate them all. Are you all. serious? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I was cut out to give other people advice. It's just too hard. And I think I, I'm always nervous. Like, I don't like it when a pillow tells me to live, laugh, love. <laughs> <laughs> Lest anyone think that you take yourself too seriously, Elena, I want to mention that you are wearing a sweater that has hamburgers on it. Yeah, so. we have thesis defenses happening right now at Oregon State, and so I like to sort of dress a little whimsically to to diffuse some of the tension that the students feel. Well, I'm I'm feeling very relaxed right now, so thank you for that. Hey, we're going to be giving our own version of graduation speeches that we wrote to some actual high school seniors uh, coming up a little bit later on in the episode, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, first, though, we have to actually start the show. You ready, Elena? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Molly, are we recording? <laughs> That's when you know Molly's out of nickname ideas for me. She's just Luke. doing just doing the wait, wait, don't tell me Luke <laughs> chant. All right. Uh, Elena, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded. From our actual houses, welcome to the Live Wire House Party. This week with poet and scholar Clint Smith, music from Waxahachie, and a tribute to filmmaker Lynn Shelton. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of Live Wire, Lou Burbank. Thank you, Elena. We have a great show in store for everybody this week. Uh, we are going to be remembering our friend Lynn Shelton, who passed away recently but left a real impression on us and everybody else who ever got to come in contact with her. And we're going to hear music from Waxahachie, uh, who I am so excited about. I've been listening to her new album, St. Cloud, on like repeat during uh, these quarantine times. Uh, of course, each week on the show, we like to ask the audience a question. And this week we asked, uh, what piece of advice would you have benefited from hearing at your graduation? Because it's getting very close to graduation time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these high school seniors are having to do interesting modified graduation experiences using Zoom and 
one person in the gym at a time and all this stuff. Oh my gosh. I know. So it's like a totally different experience for them. Um, on the subject of graduation, um, there's somebody that I thought it would be fun to talk to this week. Uh, he just graduated. Actually, I don't think that's even really the term. Uh, he got his PhD from Harvard's Graduate School of Education, and he had to defend his dissertation over Zoom. You have been on the other side of this a bunch, Elena, right? Because you're a professor at Oregon State University. Yes. I've directed two theses. theses. Uh, I should probably know what the plural is. I mean, I would say if, <laughs> if you're the one running them, you might want to know what the term is. I only do one at a time, so I don't have okay. to worry about the plural. And then I'm on a couple other committees. So I've been spending a lot of time on Zoom with students, and everybody has really taken a lot of measures to make it special uh, yeah. for each other and for parents who can't be there who come in on Zoom to celebrate it. It's been challenging technologically, but really sustaining emotionally to see the adaptations that have happened. Yeah, right. Well, that's kind of what happened with our guest, Clint Smith. Uh, I saw him tweeting about having to defend his dissertation on Zoom, and it actually allowed a bunch of family and friends to be in on this event that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to be in on. Mm. Uh, so I thought we would bring him on the show. He's a poet. He's a regular contributor to the Pod Save the People podcast. Let's bring him over. Clint Smith. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Um, what was the dissertation that you were defending uh, over Zoom? Yeah, so my dissertation was on the educational experiences of people sentenced to juvenile life without parole. And so I've been teaching in prisons for the past six years or so. Um, it was sort of integral to, to my own personal and intellectual development, I think, as a graduate student over the last six years. And I spent six years working and teaching in prisons, and I started teaching people who were sentenced to life. Uh, and I was teaching writing, creative writing, and literature classes. And the more time I spent with people serving life sentences, uh, the more I began to encounter folks who were sentenced to life without parole when they were kids, so when they were 14, mm. 15, 16, 17 years old. And as a teacher, I became curious about, like, what does education mean to somebody who's been told they're going to spend the rest of their life in a cage? And so I became more and more interested the more time I spent teaching and the more conversations I had with folks about what like what motivated someone to learn? What motivates mm -hmm. you to read a poem? What motivates you to learn geometry? What motivates you to pursue I'm a I'm still looking for that motivation in my own life, by the way. Exactly. I don't know anything about geometry. Exactly. I think we all are. Um, but but and, and so that was the sort of catalyst to, to the research project. And that's what I've been spending the last few years on. This is years of your life and all of this work and, a, and obviously a really important topic. And then because of the pandemic, Clint, you have to actually defend this via – like Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. So Harvard and I think higher ed in general is pretty antiquated in in terms of like what these uh, sort of traditional processes are supposed to look like. And so in your defense, your committee is typically there. You know, your friends and family, maybe your family comes up, maybe not. Uh, your friends who are in the area, other students in the program. It's a pretty small thing. You know, most defenses that I have gone to my entire life been between 10 and, you know, a, at most 40, you know, 40 or 50 people. And, and that would be humongous. Um, and so I imagine that that was going to be my reality for a long time. And I was like, oh, you know, my parents will fly up and my wife will come and it, and then some friends in the area. It'll be great. Uh, but it ended up being on Zoom. And I was I kind of I, I was very disappointed at first uh, because I didn't envisioned it looking a specific way for the last mm -hmm. six years. Uh, but it ended up being this thing that allowed so many different people from different parts of my life um, to be a part of this incredible moment. 
in ways that uh, that otherwise wouldn't have been possible. You know, there were people there who've known me since I was in diapers, people oh. who were, you know, central to my graduate school experience, who basically kind of like looked at my wedding list. And I was like, well, everybody who came to my wedding can come to the Zoom defense. And you don't um, have to buy them like appetizers. Right. right. Like it was much, much less expensive. No than my open bar also. at the thesis dissertation. <laughs> right. how, how many people Zoomed in? It was about 175. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. It's like a wedding. Now, we're. Like, were you nervous? Because this goes from being, I mean, I can only imagine that it's nerve wracking because you put so much work into this, but now it's almost like a spectator sport. Mm. It's like, this has become like a performance for all these people, right? Yeah. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a writer and, and I've been, um, I speak often and to go talk about my work and do readings. And and so the notion of like talking about my work, um, in front of groups of people is not, is not new necessarily. Uh, you have a Ted talk with like 5 million views or something. So I guess Something you're like used that. to it. Wow. Yeah, come on. You know that. Don't try to act like you don't know you the numbers. I, I don't keep track of the numbers that way. <laughs> really? Um, but it it was really neat because I think part of it, you know, and any PhD student knows this, is that your your family and friends like kind of know what you're studying, but they also mm-hmm. like kind of don't really know. So my mom, I think mm-hmm. for six years, was like trying to figure out how to tell people what I was doing. She's like, the prison, <laughs> and they read together. And they they talk about you know and they, he reads to the prisoner. I was like, no, I don't read to the prison. You know, so so I think you have it was a PhD helpful. PhD in reading to prisoners, <laughs> right? And and so it was helpful, I think, for them to for everybody to be like, oh, okay, this is what he's been doing for the past six years, um, and this is why he couldn't come to to Sunday brunch so often, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, and yeah, no, it was it was neat. And, you know, my mom invited so many of her friends, and you know, she kept sending me emails uh, like every day. Like there was a trickle of new people. Oh, don't forget to invite Miss Betty. She babysat you when you were three, and she would love to see this. Um, and I was just, I was all for it, you know. Um, yeah. But it was it was cool, and it, what I think made it really neat is that after the dissertation, after I was done, you know, the you don't so you don't see everyone while you're doing it. You only see your three committee members. So. I was sharing my screen, uh, and so the PowerPoint was being shared between myself and everybody who was watching could see it. But I could only see my three, the three professors who were the members of my committee. And then when I finished, my professor, who's the chair of my committee, said, "All right, everybody can come on now." And there was this sort of these light bulbs of of people who just popped up, you know, oh from my all gosh. these different parts of my life. And you're like, "Oh, that was my babysitter in fifth grade. Oh, that's my friend from high school. Oh, that's my kind." Co- and it was just this beautiful beautiful moment and then everyone stayed after uh after my advisors came and they were like and now you are officially dr clint smith and everybody Mm. started clapping and people (laughs) stayed on for like another hour and a half and did this thing where they just talked about how proud they were of me and like oh my gosh it was this really amazing moment that i i I don't know will be reflected in at any other point when you know so many different people from my life came and shared this special moment together and said such kind things and i have it recorded and so Uh. whenever you know my my aunt well she'll get upset with me at thanksgiving when i bring up politics but then i'll just pull up the (laughs) dissertation defense when she said all the nice things about me so i've got the receipts right uh this is live wire we're talking to dr clint smith uh, about defending his dissertation uh, in Harvard Graduate School over Zoom. You're also a, a poet, and um, you have a book, Counting Descent, a, a poem that you wrote called When People Say We've Made It Through Worse Before uh, has been going around because it feels very relevant to the time we're living in. I was wondering, would you, uh, would you be up for reading that poem? Yeah, I'd be happy to. When people say we have made it through worse before, 
all I hear is the wind slapping against the gravestones of those who did not make it. Those who did not survive to see the confetti fall from the sky. Those who did not live to watch the parade roll down the street. I have grown accustomed to a lifetime of aphorisms meant to assuage my fears. Pithy sayings meant to convey that everything ends up fine in the end. But there is no solace in rearranging language to make a different word tell the same lie. Sometimes the moral arc of the universe does not bend in a direction that will comfort us. Sometimes it bends in ways we don't expect, and there are people who fall off in the process. Please, dear reader, do not say that I am hopeless. I believe there is a better future to fight for. I simply accept the possibility that I may not live to see it. I have grown weary of telling myself lies that I might one day begin to believe. We are all not left standing after the war has ended. Some of us have become ghosts by the time the dust has settled. That's Clint Smith, Dr. Clint Smith, here on Livewire, reading uh, his poem, When People Say We Have Made It Through Worse Before. Um, I guess the, the tone of that poem would be, uh, it's not meant to be bleak, it's meant to be accurate or true. I mean, because I, I think a lot of us fall back on that, you know, uh, the sort of the arc of the universe bends towards justice idea in times when things feel unfair. And, mm -hmm. and you're saying maybe it doesn't always. Yeah, I think it's, I think I, part of it is I'm writing to myself and mm -hmm. part of it is that I found myself saying, okay, we'll get through this. We've been through worse looking for sort of, uh, historical moments that have preceded this one, um, uh, you know, in various iterations. This wasn't a poem that I wrote for COVID-19. You know, this was yeah. a poem that I wrote uh, a year and a half ago. Mm. I think what I am was trying to remind myself is that in the process of attempting to make it through a set of difficult circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be, uh, we should not sort of erase or forget or sweep aside those who, who did not make it through the, the proverbial storm. Part of what we already know about this disease, for example, is that it is impacting certain communities in ways that it is not impacting others. It is impacting yeah. black communities and Latinx communities and uh, indigenous communities in ways that it is not impacting wealthier communities and wider communities. And, and there's a, a host of historical and social and political reasons why that is the case. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important for us to uh, account for that in the way we talk about what moving forward means, because almost 100,000 people in this country have lost their lives, if not more, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a reminder to myself and thus a reminder to the reader that um, there will be another side and to, there will be another side to this, but not everybody will make it to that other side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is not meant to be a, a tragic poem or a sad poem. It's just meant to be a poem that ensures that we are accounting for that reality. Mm-hmm. Dr. Clint Smith, congratulations on your dissertation defense. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on the Livewire House Party. I appreciate it. Hope you all stay safe. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. You too. This is the Livewire House Party coming to you by way of PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We have to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Have you ever noticed how kind of not great you feel after you sit at work all day? 
truth of the matter is your chair is probably part of the problem. Most chairs and desks, they restrict movement, which leaves your body kind of achy. Now we'd like to tell you about Fully, designer and collector of standing desks, chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage you to move so you will feel better at the end of your day. Uh, I use a Fully TikTok stool when I am recording these messages, and it has really changed my whole kind of physicality. After a long day, and I know it doesn't sound like a real job, maybe because it isn't, but after a long day of recording things at my home studio, sitting on a TikTok stool, I feel great. I don't feel like I've been ossifying for the last eight hours. I feel like I'm ready to go take on my evening. Uh, so I can't recommend fully highly enough. Get your body moving in your workspace like I've done. Go to fully.com slash livewire. That's F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash livewire. Fully, desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank at my house in Bellingham, Washington, over there in Corvallis, Oregon. Elena Passarello is at her house. Did you happen to see President Obama's virtual commencement speech he gave to sort of all graduates of 2020? Yeah, yeah. My favorite part was when he he was like, you guys got to fix this because we really messed it up. (laughs) I know. It was, I, I, I can only imagine if I was a young person, I would feel inspired, but also related to he talked about yeah. how like uh he didn't like wearing a graduation cap because he felt like his ears were too big oh yeah like i was like oh that guy should be president i'll tell yeah, you yeah he's got potential <laughs> real inspiring message um we asked the livewire audience this week what piece of advice would you have benefited from uh from hearing at your graduation and i thought it would be kind of fun i thought it would be fun elena sorry mm-hmm. i didn't realize how much you were gonna dislike this exercise (laughs) if we tried our hands at writing uh like a short maybe one minute or so commencement speech that we wished we would have heard Mm -hmm. when when we were graduating and i even thought that we should have some real high school seniors here to join us to like hear our inspiring words and to really learn from our wisdom so let's welcome some of them to the show right now we have flora pollock who is about to graduate from franklin high in portland oregon flora welcome to the house party Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, we also have Maddie Stallman uh, from Louisville, Colorado. Maddie, you are about to graduate from Monarch. Yes. And then in uh, Bow, Washington, we have Summer Ray joining us, who is going to be graduating from Burlington High School in Burlington. Summer, welcome to the show. Hi. Are you guys going to have like a commencement speech actually happen? What 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 is your commencement even going to look like? Um, at my school, they're having everybody come in and they're going to record it, like, and put together a video and then give us a DVD. So I'm sure some valid Victorian or somebody will. Right. Is there like some adult type person who's going to stand in front of a Zoom camera somewhere and like try to inspire you guys? Do you know what the plan is, Flora, in Portland? Yeah, actually, we just got an email talking about what they're going to do for prom and graduation. And... I think what they're doing is really similar to up in Washington. They're going to be having both virtual programs, and they're doing a similar thing where there will be a specific virtual like commencement type of ceremony for each school. Okay, and Maddie, what's going on in Colorado for you? What's the plan? Um, they have a few things happening. We got to do, last week on the day that our ceremony was supposed to be, we got to do a car parade where we <gasps> basically drove through the town and um, ended up 
in the school parking lot and people like stood along the route and cheered for us and in the school parking lot all of our like uh teachers and school Aww. staff were there nice that sounds great um, do you guys care about commencement speeches? I mean, is this something no. the youth of America? Oh, good. Absolutely well, not. Oh, good. Well, thank it's you. It's always the vice principal or some superintendent <laughs> just saying the same thing they said last year. <gasps> oh, summer is a woman after my own heart. Okay, I well, think. get ready, though, because we have a couple of inspirational speeches that are just going to really, I think, change the course of your I'm life. I'm sure it'll be better than whatever they were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I thought I wanted to write mine basically to my like 17 year old self. So this would be 1994 when I'm graduating from Nathan Hale high school, uh, in, in Seattle, Washington. So here we go. Here's my inspirational, uh, speech An address to the graduating class of 1994, specifically Luke Burbank. <laughs> First off, your skin is not always going to be like this. A lot of what's going on is hormonal, but also don't get too comfortable. Because weirdly, in your 40s, things are going to sort of flare up again, <laughs> which is going to feel really unfair. Because, like, how are you losing testosterone but also getting zits? <laughs> anyway, that's not the main point of this speech, and I'm already halfway through my time. So quickly, here are a couple of biggies. Number one, the Earth is not 7,000 years old. I know you think you're going to really blow their minds when you get to college and systematically dismantle their theory of evolution, that is not what is going to happen. You're just going to look very silly in freshman bio in front of Megan Hallen, and your relationship is never going to recover from that. Number two, yes, I know, you already have a five-month-old baby, which is terrifying. Hmm. Feels like you might have ruined your life, but you did not. <laughs> and she's going to end up being your favorite person on planet Earth. Not so much during years 16 through 18, but that's just how that stuff goes. Lastly, be kind to yourself. It's directly related to your ability to be kind to other people. And try not to wait until your late 30s to figure that one out. And above all, <laughs> never forget the sage lyrics of the number one song of this year. I saw the sign, and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. No one's going to drag you up to get into the light where you belong. But where do you belong? <laughs> All right, that was not the strongest ending. I'm going to admit that. But that is really on me for writing this speech in the car on the way over here. Anyway, good job, you guys. Um, I think, honestly, you can just hear from the crowd. They're digging this. <laughs> This is, this went over There's much better than I. There's one pair of hand emojis clapping for you on this whole Zoom call. Right now. Did I possibly add applause away. from a pretend audience to the sign by Ace of Base? Maybe I'm not above that. Okay, that's my attempt at a an inspiring commencement speech, Elena. I know that um, you are in fact a professor at a college. You're a professional writer. I thought this was going to be a breeze for you, but you were not feeling it when it came to writing an inspirational commencement speech no I, tr I tried like four different versions and I hated all of them like I just felt like such a phony every yeah. single time and I tried to think about like what I, my 18 year old self wanted to hear and really what I remember from it is just being being with my friends which yeah. I did all through senior year of high school and, and we're still friends and um, so there's a lot of memories around the actual event that can carry over whether you're there or not 
I honestly wish that I could go now that I can't go. Mm-hmm. Now that I right. can't go, I really want to go and I really miss it. But before right. I was like, I'll yeah. just show up, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, that summer, Ray, uh, in Bow, Washington, Flora Pollock in, in Portland, I saw you nodding your head too. Is this the kind of thing that like didn't seem that fun until it was taken away from you? Yeah. Um, last year I went to our school's graduation cause I had a lot of senior friends and I just kind of wanted to prep myself for mm-hmm. what it would be like this year. Um, and yeah, it is pretty boring, <laughs> but it is one of those things. I just think it's kind of that movie moment when you get to take your tassel to the other side and throw your mm-hmm. cap and yeah. get to have that closure with your teachers and your peers and just see everyone for the last time. That's what I'm really missing out on. Now, Maddie Stallman in Colorado, you are a very like academic kid. You seem like the one of the three that was like actually looking forward to all of this. Um, I was I was looking forward to it in the sense of basically having time to connect with people. Um, I kind of tend to focus on academics at the expense of like maintaining relationships. Uh. And so I was really looking forward to like, yeah. I'm going to have this free time where I don't have any like pressing things I need to get done to just like hang out and connect with people. Yeah, that makes so a that lot was really hard for me, but eventually I've been able to connect with a lot of those people, like my friends, family and teachers virtually and still I'm I've kind of had that closure. Well, that's good. I'm gl- I'm glad to hear that. I also have the feeling that Elena's amazing speech that you're about to hear is going to more than make up for anything that you all are missing out on because of the uh, pandemic. No pressure. Elena, what have you prepared? Okay. Well, I googled cliched graduation speeches. Nice. And then I took 10 of the most overused sentences in commencement speeches, and I turned them into one big Mad Lib. (laughs) And then we asked our fabulous students beforehand to give us various parts of speech that we could fill in to the blanks of the Mad Lib that I made. And this is what we got. Okay. I, I, I can't wait to hear this. Here we go. My furry walruses, you are about to jump on an ecstatic lipstick. The time has come for you to sleep your paws and tinkle. As you go through life, always remember to follow the Cadbury cream eggs and keep in mind that you can skip anything you put your eyebrow to. And please, please, class of 2020, never forget the immortal words of that great poet, Kevin Bacon. If you can sit it, you can hit it. Congratulations and enjoy the rest of your life. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? That was not as bad as I was expecting based on the prompts you gave these students. <laughs> Here's my question, Flora, Maddie, and Summer. Was any part of either of those speeches in any way remotely inspirational or helpful to you as you as you move into the next phase of your life? I like these better than like standard forced inspirational speeches because um they were, I think, more relevant to me. Uh, Elena, you really made a point of engaging us, which was cool. And Luke, I like how you uh, kind of ref- talked to your past self, because that gave us really cool perspective. That was not the answer I was expecting. I thought you guys were just going to tell us that those were extremely not helpful. Maddie, but that was so generous. Thank you very much. That was much. very sweet of you. Yeah, I think Maddie was right on, like, they just felt to me a lot more personable and relevant. And I think that in itself 
is kind of inspiring. You guys both took your own approach to it. Um, and I think that's what people should take into college, your own approach at life. Well, listen, uh, legally, I'm not allowed to do this because I think you still have like a month of school left. But I wanted to <laughs> just honor you guys and celebrate you here. Summer, you have a cap on. Flora, you said they haven't actually distributed the caps at your school yet. So you have yeah, like a baseball hat. <laughs> Maddie, I think your mom went and fetched your cap. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so you've got yours. Uh, so I now pronounce you... Graduates, you may throw your hats in the air. Yay! Again, don't actually stop going to school because there's still a month left and I don't want to be responsible for you guys failing. Summer Ray, Maddie Stallman, and Flora Pollock, thank you guys so much for coming and telling us your story and um, congratulations on graduating and I wish you the very best. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, stay safe. This is Livewire Radio from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. Elena, I wanted to do something that we haven't actually done yet since we started doing the show, you know, from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to play some tape from a show that we did back in September 2017. It is part of an interview with Lynn Shelton, the filmmaker who recently passed away. Uh, She was 54 years old. And she directed a bunch of really amazing movies and a bunch of really high-profile TV shows, that Little Fires Everywhere Mm. show that everyone's talking about. She was directing episodes of that up Mm. until pretty recently. But along with just being professionally really accomplished, she was also just like the warmest, most lovely person um, that, that you could ever meet. She was on the show a few times, and I think what I found really inspiring about her was... She had this really demanding job, right? Being a film director. Mm -hmm. Like you have to deal with all these egos and there's all this money on the line. And yet she was able to do that with kindness and love and get these amazing results. I think a lot of times we think that the only way to get something done is to just steamroll everyone. Right. Just like assert your will more firmly than everyone else. And I think that's a total myth. And I think it's a myth because of having known... Lynn Shelton. She was just a really special person. And for the folks that didn't ever have a chance to meet her, I I wanted them to get to hear sort of how she was. So let's take a listen to this conversation uh, with Lynn Shelton. It was recorded at the Neptune Theater in Seattle back in 2017. Hi, Luke. Hi, Lynn. It's been a while. How have you been? Good. Welcome to the show. Um, Thanks. I just had a chance to watch Outside In and I was Totally blown away. I started immediately texting you, like, dude, this movie is so good. (laughs) Um, It's true. I knew he liked it. I was just um, fishing just then. um, How did the... Okay, so the plot is uh, Jay Duplass plays a guy who who gets out of jail after 20 years, and he's trying to reintegrate into life. He's having a hard time doing it. I know you co-wrote this along with directing uh, the film. Where did the idea come from? How did this whole thing get started? Um, It really started because I wanted to work with a couple of actors, Jay being chief among them. Um, I had known Jay because I'd worked with his brother, Mark. I directed him in two movies, Hump Day and Your Sister, Sister. And um, so I knew Jay because Jay and Mark are also a filmmaking uh, team. They write and direct movies. And so I'd met Jay through Mark, and I loved hanging out with him. He's this sort of radiant human. He's just really, he's got this big smile and he's got this very sweet soul and he's just a really great guy. Um, yeah, so I'd sort of been trying to think of a role 
for him. And I've always been interested in relationships between two people that shouldn't really, on paper, shouldn't really work or shouldn't really seem inappropriate or, you know, but people have these soul connections. And so I was just playing around with some ideas about how um, two people such as that um, might develop a, a true intimate relationship and what the plot of this movie is, is that he went into jail when he was like 18. And the person who kept him going was his high school English teacher. And so it very, it's very pedagogical at first and intellectual. And then it just becomes more and more intimate over 20 years. Um, and and uh, I mean, not intimate in romantic ways. Just They just really confide in each other and become very close. So now he gets out of, out of uh, jail and he has to... He has one person that he's really fixated on, and it's her, and she's married and has a, you know, a family. And, and is so, considerably older than him. And, and is, as you said, it's uh, not a typical relationship uh, if they are to actually have a relationship, which you'll find out if you watch the film. Yeah. One of the things I thought you really nailed tonally with this was the kind of trepidation that people feel after they've been incarcerated for a long time. Did you do research on that? Were you, how did you get into the mind of somebody who's been incarcerated for two decades? Um, it was really Jay did the heavy lifting in that department. And he first he started out just on YouTube, you know, really watching interviews with guys and learning about guys, watching a lot of documentaries. And then he actually reached out and was able to actually connect to some guys who had been um, in, in that position and really learned a lot. We have Lynn Shelton here, uh, director and co-writer of the new film Outside In. I read somewhere, and tell me if this is true or has been exaggerated, that you, you've been working in, in the film industry as an editor and doing other things, but you had sort of had this dream of directing, but at some point you thought you had gotten too old for that, to be a first-time director. What, what inspired you to actually try it? Um, you know, I was, I was actually uh, at an event where uh, a filmmaker that I really admired named Claire Denis, who's French, um, she, at the time, this is a good 12 years ago, I want to say, she, or maybe more, she ha already had this, you know, she had this body of work, and I loved it, and uh, she was brought here, and the Northwest Film Forum did a retrospective of her work, and then there was an onstage interview with her, and during the course of that interview, I realized, I was, like, doing the math, when she said what year she had started as assistant director, and then how old she was, and I was like, she was 40 years old when she directed her first feature film. Oh my God, it's not too late. And I was so excited because A, she was a woman, but also she had started, you know, later. And I was in my mid-30s at that point. And so I was like, I remember thinking, okay, I have like three years left. I can pull it together. I can still do this. Uh, There's you know, nothing more inspiring career. than like somebody getting into whatever you want to do at an older age than you currently are. Yes. And the opposite is also true. Like, it's just setting in that I'm not going to play in the NBA because <laughs> the oldest players are much younger than me, unfortunately, Lynn. Um, what do you think, what's the hardest part of the job? And, like, what is it about Lynn Shelton that you're able to bring to the table when you're trying to direct these, whether it's films or TV shows or whatever it might be? Um, honestly, I, I'm not super smart in a lot of ways, but one way I think that I like to think that I'm smart is emotionally. And uh, in college, I was always really attracted to psychology classes, and I've always been really interested in the way people's brains work. And so it's like, on Mad Men, I realized, because it was such a huge... That was my first TV job, and it was such a huge ensemble cast. Well, that's no pressure. Oh, my Your God. Your first TV directing job. It's <laughs> it was, just a little show called Mad it Men. It was nuts. <laughs> yeah, that was insane. Um, and every single one of those actors, I realized, had a completely different process. And I realized, I got this image that it was like, 
it's like there's a little drawer filled with all these keys of different shapes and sizes, and you have to find the right key to fit the right person, you know, to figure out how best to make them feel like they can unlock their best, uh, you know, their best performance. And, and, but it's like that for everybody. Like you have this vision and you have to communicate it to everybody, to your production designer and to your editor and to your director of photography and your costume designer and everybody. And, uh, and then all the actors as well. And that, it's a lot of uh, people skills. And, you know, I, I fail all the time, but I'm, I think that that's, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at that. So that sort of saves me. Because it's really, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at my best as a director if I'm curating everybody else's genius. Does that make sense? You're sort of corralling. It's a little bit like being the leader of a band. You know, you're kind of like inviting everybody to contribute and then you have to sort of curate and figure out exactly how it's all going to fit together. Do you think any uh, part of that aptitude is because you got into this a little bit later than other people? I do. I don't think I could have done it. Uh, uh, when, when I got in my first movie set, I remember feeling like I'd never felt before, ever. I, I remember feeling like this is what I was always meant to do. And at the same time, I couldn't have done it before this. I couldn't have done this when I was 25. For, for me, it just I needed to feel, I needed all that time to get comfortable in my own skin before I could actually, yeah, do that particular job. Uh, you've made a series of these really great films um, that are not about traditional topics. These are original characters who I've never seen in any context before. And yet, we live in a world where almost every big movie is now based on a pre-existing concept. It's either like a comic book character or, God help us, emojis. <laughs> have you, do you have any ideas, any development ideas for, or have you been tempted to try to adapt like an existing thing ever just because you're like, well, this could be a hit film? So you're, just, you're wondering if I'm going to go for trying to make another version of the Flintstones movie? What, I don't is that understand. what you're working on? <laughs> yes, is it is. breaking news? It's so funny you should bring that up. Yeah. Um, Wait, are you seriously <laughs> rebooting the Flintstones? <laughs> yeah. I never know when you're joking, Lynn. <laughs> it makes me so happy, Luke. <laughs> so that's um, like not for you. Like, would you, would you direct, if they came to you and they wanted you to direct a big budget film that was maybe going to be creatively less interesting, but it'd be kind of good feather in your cap. Would you consider something like that? Feather in my cap? <laughs> oh my God. Among the Flintstone aficionados, maybe? Um, I guess, let me ask the question maybe <laughs> with less feather in my cap references. You're making these really honest, really interesting films. Do you have any desire though to, to, to make big budget films? Um... I, I realized, and a lot of this is because of television, because I've now directed two pilots, one that actually happened and one that didn't get picked up. Um, and I only bring those up because big, like truck after truck after giant truck and, you know, huge crews. And so I've worked with really large sets and large budgets. So I'm very comfortable at all different levels and sizes of that, you know, yeah. kind of size of production. Um, so that doesn't intimidate me. It really, it's all about the content. You know, and so if there was a Brokeback Mountain, you know, or some movie that, that was a big budget and that actually was a, with a, was a script that really just, like, knocked me off my feet, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it doesn't, the, like, the budget level doesn't matter. It's just, it's just the material has to be, I have to be passionate about it. Because it takes, as a director, you spend a really, really long time on a movie and just so a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And life's too short to do something that you're not fully passionate about, for me anyway. 
That is Lynn Shelton here on Livewire, passed away at age 54. Lynn was a friend of the show and a friend to everybody that she met. Rest in peace. Um, You left everything better than you found it. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. They are working nonstop to support their guests, employees, and communities. And they're offering no change or cancel fees for flights booked through May and taken by February 2021. Also, reward benefits have been extended. So companion fares, elite status, all of that stuff is going to be there for you when it's time to fly again. Learn all the ways Alaska is supporting flyers at alaskaair.com. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're having a good, safe time wherever you are. All right. Every week on the show, whether we're virtual or all in one place, we like to ask the audience a question. And this week, because we're getting close to graduation time, we asked the audience, what piece of advice would you have benefited from hearing at your graduation? These graduation speeches can sometimes be very kind of formulaic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to try to revisit that topic and, and, and see what would have been useful to the listeners. What are people telling you, Elena? Here's one from Handsome Pizza. They're the pizza sponsors of our green room. Yes. When we're doing the show, like in normal times. Oh, I miss that pizza so much. Yeah, I know. What's Handsome Pizza, our green room sponsor, saying they wish they would have heard at graduation? Quote, nobody knows what they're doing. And I think that's wonderful advice or wonderful information because I think a lot of people are asking for graduation speakers and people to get uh, to show that they are somebody who has mastered the art of being alive and then they can impart wisdom on students. But in my experience, you know, you fake it till you make it. And then once you made it, you just keep on faking it. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the part nobody tells you. Like I still, I'm 44 years old and I have these moments where I look around and I think, Oh, right. I'm an adult. I'm supposed to actually know what's going on in this situation. Yeah. And I feel like a 17-year-old kid so much of the time. So it would have I, – I agree. I think it would have been comforting mm-hmm. to sort of know that that's a natural feeling to kind of say you don't have it figured out. And to be honest, you're sort of never going to figure it out, but that's the journey. Yeah. Prepare for a lifetime of not 100% being certain. And yeah. that's freeing in a way. Absolutely. What else are people telling you? Here's one from Sarah. Sarah wishes she could go back and tell herself, all the girls you thought were so cool and you could never talk to them, they were actually just girls you had crushes on. (laughs) (laughs) There was, you had an odd feeling towards these folks and you couldn't quite put your finger on it. And now you've figured it out. Uh, What else? Okay. This is one that I wanted to bring up. It's from Amy. Amy's uh, advice that she wishes she could give to her younger self, quote, that it's okay to fail. Yes. Right? Like, I think the mm-hmm. one thing that I didn't know about myself back then that I know is true now is the things that I have done that I consider to be accomplishments have all come from failure yep. much more than they've come from success. Absolutely. I had this big plan, you know, to write this memoir and it was going to be called Failure is an Option mm-hmm. because uh, I've, that's something I've learned, you know, throughout my adult life. But I took so long getting around to actually starting the project that somebody else wrote a book called Failure is an Option. Nah. So I literally <laughs> failed at 
having that be the title of the book because I waited so long. And what I learned was, if you have a good idea, act on it. Failure is an option is no longer an option. That's exactly right. All right. This is the Livewire House Party coming to you by way of PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. And uh, we have to take a short break, but do not go anywhere because when we come back, we will have some music from Waxahachie. And you don't want to miss that. So stay with us. It's the Live Wire House Party from PRX. Hey, special thanks this episode to Adrian Heftagaub of Seattle, Washington, and John Hopp of Sacramento, California. Adrian and John are part of the Livewire member community. They are generously supporting our show with a donation each month, which we, let's just say, we're always very thankful for, but are now even more thankful for. So thank you so much to Adrian and John. It's genuinely what helps us keep this show going. So thank you so much. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank in Bellingham, Washington. Elena Passarello is down at her house in Corvallis, Oregon. All right, let's hear some music at this here house party. I have been obsessively listening to the new album by Waxahachie. It's called St. Cloud. It's like just the right amount of heartbreak, but also it's hopeful. It's got some good twang going on. It really, for me, has kind of taken the edge off of like, I don't know, my day when I'm just kind of staring at the same four walls. So I am very excited that when we invited Katie Crutchfield, a.k.a. Waxahachie, on the show, she said yes. And here she is, Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. Welcome to Livewire. Hey, thank you for having me. You are uh, where right now? Uh, I'm in Kansas City, Kansas right now. In a beautiful <laughs> wood-lined room with a, I would seem, full-size Elvis cutout in the background. Indeed. Yeah. He's, I th- I would say he's like four fifths full size. Um, <laughs> okay. no, I, I think he probably in real life was a little bit, little bit taller, but, um, yeah, this is my, my studio, our studio, uh, kind of a little back house that we have. Oh, cool. And, and you mentioned uh, when we were getting set up for this, that Elvis shows up in all of your, all of your zoom concerts. Have you been doing a lot of like this kind of stuff where you're like playing over the internet for people? Uh, yes, I have. I have a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I usually do it right here. Uh, so, so Elvis, he, he like, you know, maintains his position in the back corner. This, uh, album, uh, St. Cloud, uh, that you just put out has been in daily rotation at my house. Uh, my daughter actually tipped me off to it and now I listen to it a minimum of once a day Aww. and it's kind of the soundtrack of the quarantine. Are you hearing that from other fans and how does that feel to be the soundtrack of a pandemic to at least certain people? Um, I am hearing it a lot. Uh, there's a lot of great music coming out right now and I was very happy to, um, keep my schedule and, and put out new music in the middle of all of this. You know, I feel like the record is hopeful and and warm and kind of like reminiscent of the before time in a way that maybe people (laughs) kind of are craving right now. Um, And, you know, I I think that that's interesting for me because it's like much more hopeful than than music I've made in the past. So I kind of understand it. And um, I hope that that transcends throughout all of this and that after this is all over, people won't just like heavily associate this record with like a very dark time. But I also, um, I'm happy to, I'm kind of like happy to be of service, you know, like happy that people have the record and are finding some kind of comfort in it. 
So you're going to uh, play a song for us. What are we going to hear? I was going to play Can't Do Much. Oh, nice. Hey. It's almost like I asked your manager to ask you to play that song because I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a listen then. This is Waxahachie here on the Livewire House Party.
is Waxahachie right here on the Livewire House Party. Thank you. <laughs> the new album is St. Cloud. Definitely go check it out uh, if you need her. Uh, she'll be holed up in Kansas City uh, next to a four-fifth size Elvis cutout. <laughs> Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. Thank you so much for being on the Livewire House Party. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have fun out there in Kansas City. That was Waxahachie right here on the Livewire House Party. Well, it was fun hanging out with you this week, as always, Elena. Yeah, great to see you. And we got to say a big thanks also to all of our guests this week, and there were a lot of them. Clint Smith, Waxahachie, and then our graduating seniors, Summer Ray, Flora Pollock, and Maddie Stallman. Livewire is brought to you in part by Foley, Alaska Airlines, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko, and Ariana Donoville is our marketing associate. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer, and Molly Pettit, our technical director, is our house party mixer. As always, a big thanks to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission, a state agency funded by the state of Oregon, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we'd like to thank members Andrew and Linda Scipio Del Campo of Lake Oswego, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or get our newsletter, visit LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.